So just a little fun, uh, and encourage you, bring somebody with you uh, Saturday night. It's going to be good. We're, we're excited about it. Um, we've got some really talented people uh, here. I'm not one of those, but we've got some really talented people, um, and, and that was a lot of fun seeing them put that together. So, uh, But do bring someone. Hope you'll be here as we celebrate uh, Christ, um, his birth, his life, all that he gives us, um, and, and uh, just come be a part of that celebration. So today we're continuing uh, the series, The Appearing, and we're going to be in John chapter 3, as uh, we've been doing. We're going to spend uh, this Sunday and next Saturday night wrapping up this series, uh, going through the first three chapters of John. So, so far we've been through the first two. Today we're picking up in the very beginning of John, John chapter 3, verse 1. Um, I want to just read the first six verses, and then we'll jump in. What we've been looking at is how uh, Jesus has come on the scene, and um, he really appears after about 400 years of silence um, amongst the Jews. And even though there had been silence as far as God not speaking through a prophet, um, they were anticipating the coming Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, to come. And so Jesus comes on the scene. This is what we've been looking at. And we've been looking at his appearing. Um, today we're really looking at the appearing of life, um, the appearing of salvation, um, the appearing of something greater. And so let's read the first six verses. He's gonna, uh, John is going to introduce us to a man by the name of Nicodemus. Um, he was a Pharisee, which was a religious leader. He was also a powerful man. He was a part of a, a group called the Sadducees, which were like the ruling council of the Jewish people in that day. And so this was a powerful man who comes um, seeking uh, some answers from Jesus with some questions about some of the things Jesus has been doing and really why Jesus is here. And so John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to spirit, or flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It's true. Thank you for God, your presence here today. God, we thank you for the love you give us that we see so clearly at Christmas, but it was there for us to see and partake of every day. God, I pray today that that wouldn't be normal to us, but that we'd be awakened, God, to that reality. And that, Father, we would press into you more, God, to experience more of who you are. And allow the reality of who you are to shape our lives, our expectations, and our purpose, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, 
I'm sure many of you have had this experience. You go to a restaurant, you go somewhere like El Sombrero, right? Anybody like El Som, you like uh, Mexican food, that kind of thing. You go and you, you, you order, and then when they come out, they bring the plates. And what do they always tell you? You know, they, they tell you the, the plate's hot, right? Don't touch the plate, but what do all of you do? You touch the plate, right? And so the, the plate's brought out. Um, it, it, they tell you it's, it's extremely hot, and, and somehow you touch it, it leaves like third-degree burns, right? But somehow they carry it, they touch it, and nothing. It, it, it just it doesn't seem to bother them. It doesn't seem to phase them, and, and they, just, they just touch it. How is that, right? How in the world does that happen? You see it with other things, too. Like I know when I was in the roofing business and I would be on roofs in the summertime, people were always like, how in the world do you do that? How do, you, how do you get up there when it's over 100 degrees and you're working all day in this? And the thing that happens with those types of things is you just become kind of desensitized to them. You, you, it just becomes normal. Your body adjusts to it. You get used to it. You, you become conditioned towards it. It becomes your normal is how I would say it. When you think about um, people uh, just in general, how quickly things can just become normal. Think about how if things have always been a certain way, you don't know anything different. On one hand, we can become conditioned to things that are normal, but on the other hand, we can just have had things the same for so long that we don't even realize that we're stuck in this paradigm. Think about if a dog has lived in a pen all of its life. What does it know to expect any different? It's never experienced anything else. And for so many of us, we've lived in certain paradigms and ways of thinking. We've lived life in a certain way for so long that it just becomes our normal. It just becomes what we expect. It just becomes that the, the thing that we know was yesterday and is today and will be tomorrow. It just becomes very normal, what we know. The danger with this, though, guys, is this. What we've known quickly puts us into this rut, and that rut is what we call normal. We, we, we get into this rut, and, and normal, even by definition, is just to conform to a standard. It's what's usual, typical, expected. That just sounds boring, doesn't it? If you think about what is normal, uh, just usual, typical, expected, but a lot of times we like normal because it gives us a sense of peace. When we're normal, it can give us a sense of acceptance. But over time, and, and I believe most of us would say this, it becomes boring. It becomes lifeless. It's riskless. It just becomes what is. And here's the truth. We all fall into this rut. Some of us are more naturally bent towards it to just settle into the rut. Others of us may be more quick to refuse it and shake it off, but we all get stuck in a rut. We all get stuck in normal in some ways. I believe that's what's happened to Nicodemus in this passage. That Nicodemus He's even seeing signs that Jesus is doing. He's recognizing that Jesus is 
from God. But Nicodemus' normal was so ingrained, he couldn't fathom that there could be something new, something more. He was bound to normal. He was bound to a religion that didn't offer life. He was bound to a law that could only condemn. He was bound to a need for dignity and admiration. He was bound to stifling rules that offered no real hope of change, especially heart change. Nicodemus could see the life in Jesus, but he couldn't fathom or accept that the life in Jesus could give him new life or change normal. And for me, this in a lot of ways describes our version of Christianity. It describes what we know of Christianity. And even when we see life in someone else, even when we see life in Jesus, even when we see an invitation to something greater in Scripture, we seem to get stuck in this place of normal. And it seems sometimes like we're powerless to break out of normal. But I would tell you this, normal should not be a word used to describe the Christian life. It shouldn't be a word used to describe the Christian life. The, the Christian life should not be usual. It should not be typical. It should not be expected. It certainly should not be boring. It should not be riskless. It should not be lifeless. Those things should not define us as believers. It should not be what our normal is. And I wonder this, if Christ, the Christian life has ever seemed boring or riskless or lifeless to us, maybe we should consider the fact that we're not living it. That maybe all we've ever lived is a boring, riskless, lifeless version of the Christian life that's been established as normal but it's really just a perversion of Christianity that's more aligned with the American dream than it is God's kingdom. I'd ask you this question, what's your normal? What is your normal? What is your normal Christian life? What is your life with God look like? Is it just typical and expected? Is it riskless? Is it just normal? Is it boring? Is it lifeless? What's your normal? What paradigms or ways of thinking are so set in your mind and in your life that you don't recognize them, but they're causing you to exist and to not live And I say what's normal in your faith, specifically in your faith. Because if this changes, everything else changes. What lies have you believed that have created your normal? 
Have you believed that this is it? That this is all? There's nothing more? A book I've been listening to, actually, one of the questions that was asked in it by the author was, can a man dream for 70 years? Going back to this ancient Jewish man who had pondered this question, the question of can a man dream for 70 years? Can we continue to dream all of our life? Can we continue to look for bigger things from God for all of our life? Can we continue to envision a better future for those around us for all of our life? Can we continue to envision God's kingdom coming on the earth as it is in heaven for all of our life? Or do we get to this place where we just settle and it is is what it is? I was talking to somebody on our staff the other day and he was like, you know, it seems like in your 20s you're thinking like we can change the world. Anything is possible. And he's like, and then you get married. And then you have kids. And he's like, and then you kind of start thinking, maybe this is just like all there actually is. Like changing the world has turned into like changing diapers. You know what I mean? And it just becomes just one day after the next. But I would encourage you today that we can continue to dream that we can continue to think big, we can continue to live boldly all of our lives. We don't have to settle for some lame version of Christianity because God invites us into so much more. But normal, this this settling into this rut of normal and just becoming the same, and it's just always the same, and and we don't expect anything more. We don't look for anything bigger. We don't don't chase dreams anymore of what God might want to do. It it becomes like a a 10-foot-tall chain-link fence that just surrounds our lives, and it becomes this border, and it just confines us. It just hems us in. It just keeps us in this nominal existence that never fulfills its potential. It never lets you realize the freedom that Jesus offers, that freedom that that sets you free to do what you were always created to do. But here's what I want you to understand. Normal is shattered when truth leads us to experiencing more. Normal is shattered when truth, truth, big T, truth, leads us to experience more. And we look at these first six verses here and we see Nicodemus come to Jesus and Jesus is telling him, you you can't experience, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. And this baffles Nicodemus's mind and he's trying to wrap his mind around what Jesus is saying but what Jesus is telling him is Nicodemus there's more and that more is standing in front of you right now 
And Jesus is inviting him to recognize and to see and even have his mind blown by the fact that all of the scripture that Nicodemus knew as a Pharisee and had studied since he was a child, it was pointing him to this realization that every man, if he's going to see the kingdom of God, if he's going to enter the kingdom of God, he has to be born again. He has to come to life spiritually. We can be born in flesh, but the spirit is dead because of sin. And he says, you can be born again and you can experience life, Nicodemus. And he's inviting him into this, but Nicodemus can't see it. He can't fathom that there's more. He can't wrap his mind around that there's more to life. Jesus tells him, no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And Nicodemus should have understood this. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 36 and other places in the Old Testament, God talks about a day when we will be so cleansed by his work. And he compares it to sprinkling with water. And he says, I'll cleanse you. I'll make you pure. And he says, I'll put my Spirit in you. And I'll bring you to life. I'll take away your heart of stone and I'll put within you a heart of flesh and I'll write my decrees and I'll move you to follow my decrees by my spirit inside of you. And here Jesus is, he's telling a man who knows all of the scriptures that the scriptures are now being fulfilled. And the man who knew all the scriptures couldn't grasp it or recognize it. He was so ingrained in his normal and what he knew that he couldn't break free from it. He couldn't understand that there was more. But today, here's the first truth I want you to understand. There is more. There is always more to God. Things that are the same yesterday and that we know were the same yesterday as they are today, and we know they're probably going to be the same tomorrow, those things become mundane. They become predictable. They become boring. They lose their luster. They lose their pizzazz, right? Think about all the gifts people will get at Christmas. So exciting, so good, so great. And then in a couple of months, it's all forgotten. It's all become mundane and predictable and boring yet again. And here's what's interesting is the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means what he was and who he was and the things he did yesterday, he's going to do today. And the things he was and did and all that today, he's going to do tomorrow. But here's the difference. Those things on the earth that, that, that we have and that for a, a, a moment have this, this luster and, and this, this pizzazz, those things begin to fade because they're finite. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but, but he's, he, he's got angels who will forever declare his glory. One day we will forever declare his glory in his presence, and it never becomes old. And the reason for that is because he is infinite, and all of his glory will never be exhausted because he is infinite and he is eternal. He never stops and his glory is never exhausted. The one who was the same yesterday, today, and forever will never become boring. He'll never become predictable. He'll never become stale. 
because he can never be exhausted. When you look at Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in verse 5, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to Spirit, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Jesus goes on, you are Israel's teacher. See, Jesus is telling you should know this. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Here's the thing. There is always more, but you've got to refuse confinement. You've got to refuse the rut Everything is demanding your attention and demanding your affection. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you should know these things. But you settled into what's socially acceptable. You settled into what your peers expect of you. You settled in what culture demands of you. He said, Nicodemus, there is more, but we've got to refuse confinement or we just end up like Nicodemus in this normal that sells us short of what God wants for us. And what brings him glory? Nicodemus should have recognized. He should have known what the scripture was telling him. He should have seen this. But he was confined. He's saying, look, Nicodemus, you got to understand that people who are born of the spirit, they're like the wind. So you don't know where it comes from. You don't really know where it's going, but you feel its effects. He's saying, Nicodemus, when when the wind of the Spirit blows through your life and blows into your heart and, and gives you a new heart and you become this new creation, the world around you can't understand it, but they see the effects of it. And it's not normal. It's other. It's different. It cannot be Understood, it cannot be contained, and it cannot be controlled. And that's how we, as people born of the Spirit, should be. Think about the killing of the first disciples, the apostles who were martyred for their faith. No one could really understand them if they had not been born again, if the Spirit had not opened their eyes to see Jesus and to experience the life he offers. That They couldn't really wrap their minds around. They couldn't understand them. But what they quickly realized is we cannot control them. We cannot contain them. And even if we kill them, this movement keeps going. Because the life of Christ in us is so great. It is not normal we got to refuse to be confined to what we've known of christianity and allow that normal to be shattered as god's truth leads us to experiencing more of the father of the son of the spirit that we don't settle to be confined by religiosity by ritual but that we push and press experience more of God 
in our everyday lives. If you look at verses 11 through 13, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus is saying, look, I am telling you the very elementary things of the kingdom. He's saying, look, these things are not so high and lofty. He said, if I were to tell you other things that, that are even greater than these, you wouldn't be able to handle it. He's like saying, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. He's saying, you're missing even these elementary things. And Jesus says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And I would encourage you with this. Jesus is telling him, he's saying, look, You're not understanding, you're not comprehending the earthly things, the elementary things. But the writer of Hebrews even encourages us to move beyond the elementary things. I would encourage you in your faith, look beyond what is just around you. That there is always more. Refuse confinement to what you've always known. And press into Christ, press into his truth, And look beyond what is around you, knowing that there is more. Verse 14 through 17, he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And this is where Jesus' words end. And John, as he's writing this, kind of goes into his own explanation or exposition of what Jesus has said. And we come to the famous words, as he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up, just as that snake in the wilderness. And when he's talking about this snake, it was a time when the Israelites were in the wilderness and and these snakes began to infest their their area. They began to be bitten. And the thing that God told Moses to do was to, to form a snake out of bronze, to hold it up on a stick. And when everyone looked at that snake on this pole, they would be healed. It's foreshadowing the healing that would come through Christ. He says that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then John, after this statement, goes into these famous words that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And we look at this and he's saying, listen, just like that snake was lifted up and just like everyone who was bitten with the poison of this snake, he said, just like, just like they would look at that snake on this pole that was exalted and lifted up, he said, when they looked at it and were healed, he said, so will it be with everyone who's been bitten with this curse of sin, with every person who's died because of that sin. He's saying, if you will lift up your eyes, then you will be born again. And just as that snake was exalted and lifted up, he says, one day I will be lifted Lifted up, and all who will lift up their eyes and look to me will be healed. I would encourage you don't just look beyond what is, but look up at Jesus exalted. Gaze at him, ponder him, wonder at the work of the cross, wonder at Jesus, and, and let all fill you again. When you think about the cross, he says, for God so loved 
that Jesus was exalted, that Jesus was lifted up, and then Jesus was glorified because of the sacrifice he made. Have we gazed, have we pondered, have we wondered at Jesus in a long time? Have we looked beyond what we know because we know that there's more we refuse confinement to what is and press on so that we can experience more of what God offers us. The other day, I was going to a meeting up in South Carolina at another church and had to go up through Augusta. And I was listening to a different book. I've been, on, been driving a lot lately, so I've been just listening to a bunch of different books, podcasts, things like that. And the book was talking about the prodigal son. And there was one line in there, and he was kind of it, sort of imagining this um, happening in this story in Luke 15. You can go read it about the prodigal son who goes away, squanders all of his uh, inheritance, and basically um, comes back broken. The father accepts him. Uh, and in this book, he's talking about how he could imagine the mother telling the son once he had returned that your father looks for you or looked for you every day you were gone. She said he looked for you. He looked down that road for you every day that you were gone. And that one thought just got my wheels spinning. Man, I had to pause the the book and I'm just sitting there thinking through this and all of a sudden I start just just seeing this play out in my mind and I start thinking about what if what if that were one of my sons I've got three boys what if that were one of my sons who came to me and he asked for dad whatever I'm going to get when you're dead go ahead and give that to me now so that I can be on my way they'd be really surprised by that right but say I gave them everything. Take your, take your car, take your truck, take it all. Take this, take, take the, what, what I have saved for you. Take it and go. And they left. And I can imagine me going to the end of my driveway and every day looking down that road to see if they might be coming home and longing for them to return. And I'm sitting there driving down the road. I can tell you right where I was. I was going up Highway 25. And, and then as you're coming into Augusta, you know, uh, 25, it turns in, I believe it's Peach Orchard. I think that's right. And, and then you get right there to where Peach Orchard intersects um, Bobby Jones or 520. And, and so I'm right there, right at the red light. And I'm thinking about looking down our dirt road at the hill and seeing my son come over the hill and I'm thinking about this and I'm just like blown away and, and I'm sitting there and I'm starting to have tears like come down my face and I'm like oh God who's next to me and then all of a sudden in, in my mind I hear this and, and it was it was from the Lord the Lord said Brandon don't you know I love you like that and when I heard that it it just opened the floodgate and I'm sitting there at the red light. <laughs> I love you too, Lord. Oh, I hope nobody sees me, but then I don't care. And it was just this realization again of God's love for me. And it was so amazing. It, it, it blew my mind again. 
When's the last time you just sat and soaked in God's love? When you just pondered the fact of how real and how amazing His love is? When's the last time you looked beyond what's circumstantially around you to the greater reality of what God's called us to and promised us? When's the last time we looked up at Jesus exalted, at a good Father who loves us, at the Spirit who indwells us? When's the last time we lifted our eyes above our circumstances? just gazed and pondered and wandered and sat in this love that is so incredible and this grace that is so amazing. When is the last time we allowed that truth and the experience of that truth to break us out of our normal into something supernatural? The last few verses it says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In other words, he's saying the condemnation already rests on you. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn. He came to take that condemnation off of you. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that the, their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And when he's talking about this, he's saying, listen, those who know they're not right with God, they hide in the darkness. They don't want those deeds to be exposed. He says, but those who are walking in the truth, he's like, they come into the light so that what God has done can be seen. It's not that those who come into the light are righteous in themselves. What John is saying is that those who come into the light know the truth. And the truth is that they've been made righteous in Christ. He's saying that they come into the light so that people can plainly see that what they've done has been done in the sight of God, the work of God in their cleansing and the giving of new life. They come into the light because there's nothing anymore to be ashamed of. There's nothing anymore to hide from. All has been exposed. All has been accepted as far as we go. The sin has been done away with. We can live in light, in the light of Christ. I would encourage you this morning to look inside your heart, to look beyond what's around you, to look up at Jesus exalted, but then to look within, to look within your own heart. Are you trusting in the truth of God? Are you pressing in to Jesus? Are you squeezing out everything that the Lord has to offer? Are you doing everything in your pursuit of him to, to, to experience all that he would have for you? Can people look to you because you're so confident in the truth and see the life of Christ in you?
longer hiding in the darkness, but standing before the world to let them see the love that is so great, that is so powerful, that is so true, that it breaks you out of your normal into living. I was thinking the other day, actually it was Wednesday night um, at the prayer gathering. And the Lord really pressed something on my heart. Just how much he enjoys us enjoying his presence. I don't know if there's a greater heart of worship than a heart that just longs to be with the Father. I don't know if there's anything that blesses God more than his children wanting his presence. Than his children wanting to press into him. I've been really blessed with my family. Those of you who know Susan know beyond a shadow of a doubt, how much better she is than I am, right? Undisputed. I've been blessed with three boys that are way better than I deserve. My oldest has moved out, but my younger two that are still there at night, a lot of times I'll go to bed first and I'm laying in there at night those boys will come into my room and they'll put their head on my chest and they hug me and they tell me I love you And this is completely unprovoked. One of them, every night, every night, every single night that he is at home, he comes into my room and he puts his head on my chest and he hugs me. And he'll tell me he loves me. And before he leaves the room every single night, he says, you're a good dad. I remember as all my boys were growing up. Thinking about how proud I've always been of them. But praying so many times, God, one day, let them be proud of me. 
in those moments, there's nothing that could be more special than knowing that your child loves you like that. I can understand why nothing blesses God's heart more hear his children say I love you to long for his presence dad I just want to be with you encourage you this morning to look within to press in and to squeeze out the life that God offers to look up to gaze at Jesus let the truth of Christ destroy the normal of what we often think is Christianity. Look beyond what's around you. Refuse confinement to normal. And know that there's always more. There is always more. Because the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever inexhaustible he never runs out his love never runs dry so father I thank you for the power of your truth I thank you for truth Incarnate. That when Jesus was born, truth was born in flesh. You show us, God, the power of His life, that His life is the light. Let that light shine in us, Lord. Give us that life. Don't let us be confined to less. Lord, even right now, we need you. We, we want your presence more than anything. I, I pray that that can be a true declaration from our hearts this morning, that we want your presence more than anything. So, Lord, as we, as we take just a few minutes to sing, Let this be, God, the declaration of our hearts. Let it be true of our hearts.
as we press in, God. We press into you. Let your life pulsate through our veins. In Jesus' name.